Hello and welcome back to The Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And you're listening to a show where we talk about the reality of entrepreneurship to help you get past the difficult early days and demystify some of the misconceptions there are about entrepreneurship and starting a business. And this is the fourth episode in our four-part series of Fundraising 101, where we break down exactly how first-time founders who have never raised money before should go about the process of raising money. If you haven't listened to the first three parts, they're pretty useful. They talk about everything from how to find the right target investors to how to get those initial meetings and then how to run those meetings. And today we're going to talk about how to go for the close, including that final negotiation. That's right. Negotiating the close of your fundraising round. Yes, there's nothing like the feeling of closing the deal or getting past the finish line when you're working really hard to convince somebody of the value that you're creating and actually getting it to come to a close. Something that you learn as you go through this process, as you start incrementally getting to a point where you're actually successful in these things, is that for better or worse, that feeling is fleeting. So as an entrepreneur, that's part of what's so exciting about starting a business and doing things on your own is you're constantly chasing that, I'll say it, you're chasing that high. You're chasing that endorphin rush for when someone actually wires you the money and it hits the bank account and you know that the work that you put in is finally getting recognized. And about 24 hours later, you realize that you actually need to do something with that money and keep showing that investor and those groups of investors that you're well on your way to providing a return on their investment because in the end of the day, that's why they put in the money in the first place. But let's back it up, back it up a little bit, little back, bit back, here. Back, 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 back to back. Back, back, back it up. Back to back. back, back. But, but. I'm, I'm uh, regularly meeting with founders who are... You can't just go serious right after that. All right, I'll just give it a second. <laughs> that's just how we do. We go serious, unserious. You don't know what is unserious a word. It's not. You, we're unpredictable. Um, some might say bipolar. No, we no. That, uh, don't make fun of uh, actual diseases. We well, may or may not have. We're not diagnosed. No, no, no. I'll tell you that much. Um, but I will say this, that I'm meeting currently with several founders who are actively trying to close a round of funding. And I got an email a couple of days ago from a founder who said, hey, Sergey, thanks for the introduction to that investor. Any tips and advice on what I can do to close this round this month? And... I said to her, it's very unlikely that you're going to close the round this month, especially because you're still taking introductions to new investors and people usually don't make those decisions quickly. That being said, sometimes it does happen. Fundraising is a long cycle activity, but some founders are able to close those rounds faster than others. And today we're going to talk all about that close. How do you get that negotiation to happen as quickly as possible? So the episode is going to be broken down into a couple of different parts. The first part is going to be talking about how one would go about structuring the process of getting to a close. You're getting a bunch of investor meetings, but how do you get them closer and closer to actually wiring you the money? We're going to talk about the structure. We're going to talk about the actual negotiation itself, some of the do's and don'ts, things to watch out for, because there are always bad players in anything in business, but of course in uh, the venture world as well. 
Fortunately, there's a lot of good players out there as well and amazing venture capital firms that actually care about entrepreneurs. We're also going to talk about the due diligence process, what to expect from an investor that's ready to put in money but needs to do more research about your company to decide whether or not to do it. We're going to give you some tips and tricks for how to create urgency and accelerate the process a little bit as well. Uh, pro tip there, be honest, right? No bullshitting there. But there are legitimate ways to create some urgency and get the money in faster. So one thing that I'll say, and we're going to talk about diligence in, in just a second here, but not every investor is created equal and not everyone with money is necessarily smart, okay? Let's just take that fallacy out that everyone that has money is smart uh, here for a second and go into this this way because if you think that every single person that you're talking to uh, that has money, you need to impress and you need to jump head over heels to make them invest in you, you're going to spend a lot of time with a lot of people that are never going to write checks. Or if they do, they're going to be the bad kind of money and you just wasted all this time. Go back and listen to our previous episodes where we talk a little bit about how to vet some of those investors as well. But just remember to talk to other founders that they've put in money before. And if they've never invested in anybody before, and they're not your grandma who you trust deeply, um, I would steer clear from that. It is inherently difficult, especially when you're getting excited about someone that seems like they're going to give you money and will invest. But the more you do it, the more expert you become at seeing through all the BS. We're going to fast forward through the whole process of getting those first meetings because we talked about that in our previous episode, but let's talk about some of the common questions that founders have when they're trying to close a round of funding or what is even a round really, right? Because sometimes it seems like it takes six months or eight months and you kind of take money as you go along and sometimes people raise a nice, clean, a single amount of money that they targeted in a couple of months. One common question, assuming that you have already investors that are somewhat interested, you're getting some signals from people that they will invest. One common question is, do I need a lead investor in the round? What is a lead investor, Sergey? Usually, a lead investor is the one person or fund that writes the biggest check. So if you're raising a million dollars, they might invest 300,000 or even 600,000. They're going to invest more than any other investor. And it also usually means that they're the one that helps you set the terms. They may set the terms for you. They help figure out the initial terms of the deal with you, meaning all the actual terminology that's used in the documents and what you agree with the investor and how much of the company they get and all the other little things that you need to understand from a legal perspective. And they help corral all the other investors into the round so that you're not the only one doing it. Okay, so let's say I'm raising half a million dollars. I have a lead investor that is ready to put in $250,000. How is he or she actually corralling all these other investors to put money in? And how many do I need to close the round? I mean, do I collect a bunch of $10,000 checks? Can I do it with one other party? How does this work? So first of all, in a round that size, you may not even need a lead investor, you may just decide with your lawyers what the terms should be, and you bring them to the investors yourself, and they agree to whatever you propose, maybe with some individual negotiations. So are there then common terms for people that are raising small seed rounds or pre-seed rounds? So that's something that you're going to want to get some feedback on from other investors and other founders. But the simplest ways, like the, you know, without getting too much in the nitty gritty, there are simple deal documents nowadays, such as SAFE, 
that was popularized by Y Combinator or KISS that was, I think, popularized by, um, it was another accelerator, I forget the name of the group. Uh, but these are simple convertible note type of documents. You can do convertible debt, you can do price rounds, your lawyers can tell you what standard terms are. Usually there's going to be some back and forth, but if you go and study what some of those terms are and you look at those documents, the safe is available for free online, for example, you can basically copy and paste it and put in your own company name and it's as simple as that. And most of the terms in a safe, for example, in that round, if you get everyone in that round to invest in a safe, usually it's pretty much as standard as it can get. But the reason why I said that in a small round, half a million dollar round, you might not need a lead it's a small enough amount where investors are okay with you raising something called like a party round where you raise the money as you go along, you get everybody to agree to the investment terms individually instead of having one lead sort of drive what the terms are going to be. So we don't have time in this episode to go into some of the things that Sergey mentioned, like what is the difference between a convertible note and a safe and kisses, which... I don't know too much about. <laughs> and the price round and all this different terminology. There is a ton of really valuable content out there available for you online. Specifically, we recommend checking out venturehacks.com. It's actually by the founders of AngelList or some of the founders of AngelList that back in the day wrote this incredibly powerful blog about best practices for fundraising, the early stage process for putting together a deal. They talk about everything from what Sergey just explained, that terminology, to what a stock option pool is, how vesting works, which we've talked about on this show. So if you want to get more in the nitty gritty of the terminology, because we can literally probably do a whole 10 episode series on that stuff, we recommend you check out venturehacks.com. So to answer the question of do you need a lead, the answer is no. That being said, when you're doing bigger rounds or your subsequent rounds, a lot of times institutional investors, meaning like the larger venture capital funds that are going to put money in you, they will require a lead. Some venture capital investors explicitly do not lead meaning they want to follow the terms that you negotiate with another investor and they want to see you have a lead first, right? Sometimes some investors, that's just how they operate. Uh, if that's the case right now and you're doing your initial round, you may not want to talk to those investors and you may ask a VC that you might be meeting with, do you require a lead? And then you can decide for yourself whether you want to meet with that fund or not. But how do you get those initial few commitments? Because that's the hardest thing in the beginning. When you're putting together any round, whether it's $250,000 or a million dollars, the first couple of checks are the hardest to get, but they're the most important because that shows you have momentum in the round and it helps you get other investors in the door. By the way, Oftentimes, you probably won't do a round of less than $250,000 unless you're raising from friends and family because for most investors, that's too risky. You'll burn through that money so quickly and then they lose their entire potential investment if you have to close down the company. So they want you to raise a little bit more so you have more runway to actually build the company and what you want to build and hit the next milestone. Basically, survive to see another day. Rule of thumb is that you want to have at least 18 months of runway for any fundraising round, but hopefully more. Now, to answer Vadim's previous question, which is, well, how many investors do I need to have in the round? It will depend on the size of the round and a bunch of other factors. But I will say that you probably after, you know, unless again, unless it's a friends and family round where you're raising 50,000 to 100,000 just to survive. Sure. Take smaller checks if you really just need it to survive. But if you're raising from investors a real round of at least a quarter of a million dollars. 
I wouldn't take less than $25,000 checks. It's pretty common to have a minimum of $50,000 and you can say that to your investors. And if they are accredited, which they should be when you're raising money, then hopefully they can actually afford to invest twenty-five dollars to $50,000. That means that you may have anywhere from five to 15 investors in the round And let me tell you, the more investors you have, the harder it is to basically get everybody on the same page, get everybody to put the money in, sign the documents, et cetera. And it's going to be harder later on when you need to get a majority of investors to, let's say, approve some corporate action. You're going to need to email everybody and get them to sign. So I would say fewer is better, more than one, because you don't want one person having just a stake in the company outside of just you. Uh, But fewer, I think, is better. Okay, so then let's take a step back. You started talking about how to actually get a lead investor or somebody to give you that first check. How can you structure this process to get that early money in faster? So there's one strategy that we learned from our friend of ours, uh, Dave Biseglia, who worked on a company called Tap Lab, for which he, he went through the Techstars Accelerator. He raised a, a bunch of money. He actually ended up selling that company. One thing he taught us early on when we asked him for fundraising advice years ago uh, is the soft circle commitment process. And it's actually really simple. By the time you meet with the investor, usually twice, sometimes you could do it in the first meeting, but usually two or three times where they've learned a little bit about the company, they've met you, they've met the rest of your team, you've pitched them, you've validated that they're interested in this space and that they have money to invest. By the time you end that, let's say, second or third or fourth meeting is where you want to start asking for a commitment. And the way you do that is you say, hey, hey, Sheila. Hey, hey. Sheila, uh, thank you so much for for meeting with us again. It has been awesome getting to know you. We think you're gonna you would make a great addition to our team. We want to have you in our round. We think you'd be a great investor. Are you interested in investing? We're trying to close the round by X date. Are you interested in investing? And how much do you think you would invest? And then she might say, Yes, I'm definitely interested. And I'm thinking 25 to 50k. And then you can say, Great, Sheila can we count you in as a soft commitment for this investment? Meaning, can we tell other investors that we have you committed in the round at this level? She may say, yes, you can tell other investors her name that she committed, or she might just say, yes, you can say that you have that commitment. And so as you meet with other investors, now you can say, we have Sheila committed in the round for 50K, or if you have a couple people, you can say now, we have 100K committed or we have 150K soft committed. And that shows investors that you're starting to get momentum. And as you get more and more commitments, you can email now other investors that you met that maybe were dragging their feet a little bit and say, we have X amount committed. Are you in or out? We need a decision by the end of the week. Right. So that's you're already starting to create some urgency here because the round is filling up. And by the way, when you have that commitment, you should always be following up with a question, which is, who else in your network do you think would be valuable addition to this round? There's no better way to get a bunch of other introductions than from people that are already giving you money. That's considered positive signaling. The opposite of that, of course, is negative signaling. So if someone turns you down and says they don't want to invest because they don't believe in the team or they think that you haven't reached the right milestones yet, Probably you should not ask them for introductions because the very first thing that the person they introduce you to will ask of them is why aren't you putting in money into this company? Now, of course, there are some legitimate reasons for that. Maybe they don't invest in really early stage companies in your early stage. Maybe they already have an investment in the same type of company and so it's a conflict of interest. So there are some exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, 
If somebody says they're gonna give you money, you might as well use that opportunity to ask them for an introduction. That's part of the reason why a company like AngelList was even born in the first place. It's to create an easy way for basically friends and investors that know each other to put together syndicates into deals and quickly put together rounds and avoid uh, a lot of legal fees and back and forths around the terms. Yeah, it's very common for investors to invest together. They want to see that social proof from their buddy uh, that they're going to put in their money too. They're not the only one risking it. So now let's talk about the terms. And I guess that part of that discussion will also be the negotiation. Are all terms the same for relatively early stage companies? What if an investor is giving me unfounder friendly terms? What does that even mean? How do I know how to navigate this process when I've never negotiated with an investor? Let's say that you have already gone through the diligence process with a couple of investors. And most investors, by the way, when you're asking folks, can I have you committed in the round? The other question that you want to ask is, what else will you need from me to make the decision? And typically that will give you insight into their diligence process. If it's an angel investor, it might be pretty simple. If it's a fund, they're going to ask you for all sorts of things. They're going to ask you for your financial projections, your competitive analysis, the market size analysis, right? Deeper than was just in your deck. You might actually create a whole folder, Google Drive folder with all of this information, all the research that you've done. Uh, They might want to talk to your customers even. They might want to talk to other investors or previous investors if you had any. Um, So there's a whole lot they're going to do to dig into the things and to understand that the company is credible and you're credible. And for different investors, it's different things. And some are more intense than others. For example, at NYU, we do a lot, pretty much all of the things that I told you and that process can take months. But at least if you ask that question, you can set expectations and figure out what do they need and get that information to them as quickly as possible so that the completion of the round or not is not dependent on them, but really on you. You get them the info. Now you can demand a decision from them versus if you're taking your time and you're slow, you don't get them everything or you're incomplete in your information. They're just going to drag their feet. So ask that question. But let's assume you've gone through that entire diligence process and now it's time to negotiate. This is where a lead is helpful because it gives you that credibility that someone else to lean on, a credible investor hopefully, that you can then go back to other investors and say, well, these are our terms. We set them with our lead and our lead is investing X amount, which is typically the biggest amount, right? That's where the lead is helpful. It can make the process quicker. There's less sort of questions about the negotiation because the lead already said it. You can kind of defer it to the lead. Uh, even though you probably set them, negotiated them with that lead. So what are the most common components of the terms of the deal? Well, the biggest things that are often hangups uh, that slow down a deal that everybody wants to know about is the valuation oftentimes. So if I'm investing, what percentage of the company am I getting, right? And that gives you the valuation of the deal. And then there's a whole lot of smaller terms, such as how decisions are made in the company. What happens if an acquirer comes? What happens if another investor comes in? Do I have a right to invest in the future? Some investors want to maintain a certain percentage of your company, and you're going to get diluted as you raise more money, right? You're issuing more shares. You're going to get diluted. They may want to have a contractual right to invest. And then there's like more erroneous, uncommon terms that if you're not a experienced entrepreneur, or if you don't spend your time and do the research or don't read the term documents, you might get taken advantage of. Like what? Well, something that used to be common like in the 90s were liquidation preferences. A liquidation event is when your company sells, right? Uh, and you get money back and your investors get money, etc. Well, some funds would put in 
multiple time liquidation preference, 2x or 3x liquidation preference, uh, meaning that they get two or three times their money guaranteed in any sale, regardless of how much you sold for the company or IPO or whatever it is, before you get any money. And that's how sometimes with these liquidation preferences, if you're raising money and you're desperate and somebody forces you to agree to this uh, crazy liquidation preferences, you may never get any money, even if you sell your company for millions. That being said, it's very uncommon now. If you see that, I would run. The most common thing now is 1x liquidation preference, meaning you get one time your money. Guaranteed. Got it. Hopefully more if the company's doing really well. So Uh, then who is setting these terms in the end of the day? I would imagine money bags. Yeah, so usually you'll find one investor that wants to put in a good amount of money that agrees to invest in a certain terms, and those are the terms that you take to everybody else, whether that person is designated as a lead or not. Now, that begs the question, does everybody invest in exactly the same terms? Not necessarily, especially in your first round of funding. In subsequent rounds, when they're bigger rounds, yes, but not necessarily. Let me give you an example of how one of these things turned out because these things are not black and white. It's not like, okay, I decide I'm gonna raise with these terms and this is exactly how it's gonna happen. It's not always like that. We had a company approach us to see if we wanna invest in uh, their future round. I won't mention the company. They came and they said, we're raising a priced round, meaning an equity round. So there's a bit of a difference, again, without getting into too many of the mechanics. I talked about valuation being important. When you're raising a round for equity, meaning you're giving somebody preferred stock, you have common stock, they get preferred stock, meaning they get special rights in exchange for investing in your company they will agree to a certain amount of shares of your company. If you're raising a convertible note or a safe, you're actually saying, well, we're gonna figure out later what percentage of your company is now. You're just giving us money now in exchange for maybe a cap on what that value is gonna be later, but we'll negotiate the cap later. The easiest way to think about this is if you watch Shark Tank, almost every pitch starts off with, I'm looking for X amount of dollars in exchange for Y amount of ownership in my company. That means you're putting a price or value on the company. And now I'm thinking we're gonna have to do a whole episode on, or maybe a five minute pick me up, although that's not really relevant, on uh, on the difference between a convertible note and, and safes and doing a priced equity round. But let's say you're putting together an equity round. This is what was happening in this situation. They were raising, I think, one and a half million dollars in an equity round, and they had the valuation set, they had the term set, they had all the preferences and all of that, basically the different little rules that they were gonna negotiate with the investors. And they had, I think, $900,000 committed out of their million and a half they wanted to close by the end of the year. And uh, one of the companies that was considering investing said they require a lead. And they were just dragging their feet, dragging their feet, saying, well, tell us whenever you get the lead and we'll give you half a million dollars. And at a certain point, the founders decided, you know what? This is too risky. What if we don't get a lead? We're not going to be able to close this round. And we need to close the round now because we need to hire people next month. And they actually told the other investors that were interested in the round, we need to start hiring people next month and we need to close this round now. They This was real urgency that they created. So what did they decide to do? They scrapped the priced round. They said, you know what? Never mind. We're just going to raise a convertible note. We're going to set the terms ourselves. Here is the term of the deal. Do you want in or out? And most of the investors in that $900,000 commitments said yes, because they wanted to be in the round. They already were convinced by the founders. They were not so much concerned about exactly what the terms of the deal are. And eventually that convertible note will convert to real equity anyway, so they were okay with it. So as you can see, sometimes you have to change your mind and and, uh, move quickly in order to get that round in, depending on what the reality is of your round. As you can tell, 
things are always, always, always easier when you actually are creating real value, when you have legitimate traction, when you are ready to be a rocket ship. The thing is, you're supposed to raise money, not when you desperately need it because you haven't accomplished anything in the business, but because you have something that's already working and this injection of capital is going to put fuel into the fire. In other words, it's going to make it take off like a rocket ship so that you can get it to the next level and raise more money or get acquired by a massive company. And if your company is doing well, that's when you have the leverage to say, no, we don't want this low valuation. We, we don't want to give up this much of our company. We're only going to agree to this other valuation or say, no, uh, you know, some investors demand to be on your board. They won't invest unless you're on your board. And they say, no, you know, we actually only have a room for one board member and we have this other investor or we're not creating a board right now. We're going to do it in the next round, right? You only have leverage in those negotiation points and they get more and more hairy. And we can't talk about all the different terms that you're going to negotiate here, but there are some you need to watch out for. They may want to have the right to block an acquisition by another company, right? Now, there's going to be uh, some norms here. Like, for example, you may need a majority of votes to be able to have big decisions in the company, such as electing new board members, hiring executives, selling the company, stuff like that. But you may not want to give those terms to all investors, right? So these are the kind of some of the things you need to watch out for. You only have the leverage if your company is actually doing well. And if there's other investors in the round that really want to put their money in, if there's not a lot of room in the round, that means other investors desperately want to get in. And that's the kind of urgency you want to create. Now, if you are doing well, if you're closing the round, if you have a bunch of investors interested, another easy way to create urgency is to tell the truth and say, look, we're running out of room in the round. We're only raising a million dollars and we already have $850,000 committed. If you want in on the round, please make a decision within the next 48 hours. That's an easy way to create urgency because there is actual urgency there. That being said, if you change your mind 10 times about this is how we're, how much we're raising, or this is the type of deal we're doing. Investors are going to lose interest. So make sure that you only really change the terms of the deal or the amount that you're raising if it's necessary. You do want to be able to back up all those decisions. Now, we talked about a lot of different topics on this particular episode, and some of them are somewhat best practices, but as always, there are exceptions to the rule. More importantly, the venture industry, the investment community is constantly changing because entrepreneurship is changing. The tech ecosystem is changing. The opportunities to put money into companies to create value is changing because there's a lot of growth happening and new industries being created all the time. Remember, the venture industry is relatively young, right? It didn't become a common thing until the 80s and not huge until the 90s when the internet took off, when a bunch of people started to become investors and becoming independently wealthy. And so obviously all these different terms that have been set early on by professional investors had been questioned over time and they will continue to be questioned as entrepreneurs that are succeeding start to wield more power because at the end of the day, they are the ones that are building value and they're giving investors the opportunity to give them money. And with that, we would like to close our four-part series on Fundraising 101. We got into some pretty deep topics here uh, that a lot of which could be uncovered in subsequent episodes. Or if you want to email us, if you have specific questions about anything that we talked about, email us at info at and we'd be happy to reply. And best of luck in your fundraising. And we have one ask from you today. If you don't mind, if you found value in this episode or any episode in the four-part series and you think there's a friend out there that's going through this process that might find it insightful, 
go ahead and open your podcast app, click on share, and text or email that friend and just share our episode with one friend. It'll help spread the word and uh, help people learn more about the actual ins and outs of some of the stuff that, quite frankly, a lot of people don't talk about. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We love you, mentors, fans, and we'll see you next